0: Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile, and you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This episode's guest is the founding director of the American Film Institute, George Stevens Jr., whose father's film, Shane, has been recently restored and will be screening at the Academy Museum in Los Angeles on December 10th. Let's go now to my exclusive interview with George Stevens Jr. Firstly, I should just say I am... Hugely honored to have you back on this podcast. With your credentials and experiences, you could be talking to anybody right now. And I am uh deeply honored and humbled that you decided to spend your time with me. So thank you very much, Mr. Stevens. I'm very happy to do it. Thank you. One more thing I want to thank you for. I believe it was your it was your uh initial idea uh that I, and you did did talk about this last time on the podcast, but your initial idea allowed Shane to come onto the big screen, allowed Shane to be adapted. Could you talk about that again?
1: Well, I was, the year I graduated from high school, uh, I didn't have a summer job. And my father, just uh, back from the war, uh, a year or two, um, said, well, uh, you can help me. So he gave me two things to do. One was <clears throat> to break down Theodore Dreiser's epic novel, An American Tragedy, um, and put parts one and part two each into a separate notebook with all incidents and characters, because he was about to start the screenplay process of A Place in the Sun, which was based on Dreiser's An American Tragedy. And the other job was to, uh, books and scripts came over from Paramount to his apartment. Uh, and he asked me to look through those and read them. And so I was at age 17, spending the summer reading a lot of treacly love stories, which were hard work on warm summer afternoons. Um, and then one day I saw a very small book and I read it, read it, read it in the afternoon and went to see my father that evening and said, carried, had the book in my hand. And I said, this is really a good book. I think you ought to read it. And he said, well, why don't why don't you tell me the story? So I found myself walking around his bedroom. He was in bed reading and he, he put his book down. And I was walking around his bed trying to remember the story of Shane well enough to tell it. Uh, in that moment and uh, that was part of the process of him deciding to do the movie and the next summer I was on location in Jackson Hole uh, uh, working with him
0: what was a person uh, you, you could have pitched any story to him uh, that you would choose um, what was it about Shane what was it about the novel that made you personally interested in it
1: well it just it was a very good a uh, Western story about a young boy and his family, and a, a stranger who comes into the valley and uh, ends up staying with his family, <clears throat> and on into the story of the uh, the problems between the the
0: settlers,
1: the farmers, and the cattle people.
0: Yes so it was it was really the story that drew you in. It's always about the story. Yes, yes, yeah. I watched the movie the first time, and I was blown away by the movie um i i I think it's a masterpiece of cinema. I think it's one of the great greatest artworks ever created. um mm-hmm. and i'm i uh, when I was watching the movie, I was just thinking, this is a great movie this is the, the, for, and i took notes on the film uh i i think the third time i watched it and um just sitting there and writing down what i saw and i i was especially struck by the first 5 minutes of the film to me those opening minutes are a masterclass in how to establish characters their dilemma and the story through the use of visuals performance and editing could you firstly could you talk to me about your father's filmmaking approach in terms of crafting a screenplay
1: yeah well you know you start at page one yes and it's as simple as that you know and and you and you go through it and you shape the story and then you can take another look at it and figure out what's wrong and how to make it better and then uh and that was uh he a a wonderful western novelist uh ab guthrie jr was they uh, uh, came out from the Midwest to write the screenplay, and he was a terrific collaborator. And uh, and 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 he left before we started shooting, and there was much work to do during shooting. Um, Ivan Moffat and Fred Gill, uh, two two colleagues of Dad's, were there, and they were writing new scenes at night. Yeah.
0: That, that's actually surprising to me because usually, uh, I mean, yes, there is sometimes improvisation and sometimes there is uh, changes on the set. But however, uh, usually most screenplays are pretty set before shooting. Um, how, how did that process of collaboration work during shooting? Yeah.
1: I, I think in my father's case, there's always work being done on the screenplay, except for Giant, mm-hmm. which was really very finished screenplay. And you're figuring it out, you know, it would be great to have a perfect screenplay. And sometimes people do, but, uh, it's not that unusual to be, you know, fixing things as you go along. Sure.
0: Were Were these, I, I do have to ask, can you think of any kind of change? Just, just to give us an example.
1: But, you, but, you, but you're, you're seeing the story come along and you're seeing the characters and, uh, you, uh, and you want to kind of restructure scenes to make them work better, or add a new scene?
0: Oh, so he would add entire scenes during the filming. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it seems so clearly crafted. It's amazing that the that the process of collaboration uh, on the screenplay was happening throughout the production. So that's cool. No, it no, is, and during
1: editing, you know, the that um, mm. that the, the Chris Calloway, the character that Ben Johnson plays, there was a lot more about him, and that girl and uh oh. you know and you know you 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 see the story
0: in front of you and and you trim things so what you're saying uh, just for the context of the listeners uh what you're saying is that uh in this and there's a shot where the ben johnson character looks at a young woman at the uh mm-hmm. how how would you describe it saloon slash
1: uh Grafton yeah, saloon yeah in,
0: the, yeah in the store next door yeah so there was more of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Would you say the same... Okay, so how would you describe his process of collaborating with actors? Um, Your father's process.
1: It would be... Um, he he uh, lets them come into the scene, reads through it, uh, then uh, lets them get up and sort of walk through it, and just... Uh, you know, finding your way. And the uh, first of all, he likes to make the actor comfortable and through a process, not be doing too much acting, you know, keeping it simple.
0: Did you? so there was a rehearsal period?
1: Uh, no, not, not, no. Everybody showed up on location in Jackson Hole and uh, went to work up there from scratch. Yeah.
0: Spielberg, for example, just throwing out a random example, he, w- he he sometimes just shows up on the set, he barely talks. He, I mean, he he's worked with actors before, he works with them again, but um, he, he'll do one, two takes, not having rehearsed. Was it the same with your father? Was it, was it more takes? You know, it,
1: it, 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 different on occasion. I was with him on the set one time of A Place in the Sun, and um, Montgomery... Elizabeth Taylor, uh, uh, come on the set to go to work and, uh, they know what the scene is. And, uh, dad says, well, Monty, why don't you go in and, and just find a place there near the pool table. And, well, Elizabeth, you, 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 start at the door and, um, and let's just run through it. And so they went through it and the script clerk is there to, you know, if they forget a line to help them through and, and they did it once. And then he said, okay, um, that's, that, 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 that that's, that's pretty good. Let, let's do it one more time. And then they went and they did it one more time. And, uh, he said, yeah, okay. Uh, well, let's just do you, maybe a little thing of that, you, a pointer or two, and he said, let's do it again. And they do it again. And, then afterwards, Montgomery Clift comes over and he, and he wants to talk to dad. And then Elizabeth comes over and, and they talk and they do some, make some changes and all. And when we went to lunch, I, I said, said to my father, I said, uh, why did you have him go through it three times before you really started changing things? And he said, well, sometimes it's helpful Sometimes it's good for an actor to to realize that he may need some help. In other words, (laughs) they then are now coming to the director and saying, you know, I need help, rather than feeling that he's imposing his ideas on them.
0: And you described this last time on the podcast, uh, his collaboration process with editors. uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe my memory's hazy. Apparently he would set up projection projectors in at a theater and edit that way. Am I wrong?
1: Yeah, he 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 created a on for Placing the Sun and Shane he created a an editing room you know about the size of this room and um uh you know with maybe two rows of seats in it and he would sit in the front row and on the and there were two projectors behind him in the booth and he would be able to control the projectors from his seat and he'd have edited scene or reel on this right hand projector and looking at that and then he could put on the other projector of uh, alternate takes or close-ups where you you're looking at all the close-ups to look for a close-up to add in to the cut reel that was he he found he he wanted to add <clears throat> You wanted to see the picture on a big screen the way the audience would see it rather than on these little kind of five by seven inch moviola uh screens where you really don't have a sense of what it's going to look like
0: i that makes sense, and I am very glad he did so because it it the mu the movie is beautiful to look at, and it's uh, so expertly crafted in terms of the editing, especially. If I can go back to those the first five minutes of the film, I mean, it, this is me talking in my head. Oh my goodness, he established basically ev- everything I need to know in the first act within those five minutes, not only through sound and and. Uh, the music but visually it's amazing mm. um ha- according to my admittedly cursory research uh he never officially directed silent films um your father his first directing job was in 1930 i believe
1: yeah no i, I that's that's probably true i'm uh, not, not sure he did any silent films he photographed a lot of silent films laurel and arty and
0: gotcha so he so he learned how to, do, to tell a story visually through those mm-hmm. silent films, right? That was my question. So he that's because again, I could turn the sound off on the first five minutes. I wouldn't want to, but I could I could turn the f- sound off and I would get I would get what's happening. So that's kind of how he learned was through photographing.
1: You know, and he was in the theater. He was raised in the theater. His parents were actors, so storytelling was around him all his life. Um, so he was, it wasn't wasn't like he was going into a, a very strange world when he went into movies. It was actors doing what they did on the sound stage, except there, except there were cameras
0: around. Yeah, gotcha. Because the 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 performances are incredible. I'm sure. I I'm just telling you things you already know at this point. Huh. Uh, uh,
1: you, your your listeners don't know, so that's may, interesting to them.
0: If there's any film I could get anybody to see that has ever been promoted on this podcast, it would be Shane. Um, so anybody who hasn't seen it, I don't understand why. I, I Maybe I'll be telling you something you're already aware of, but uh, Scorsese said on the audio commentary of Taxi Driver that the editing of Shane directly influenced Taxi Driver.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. No.
0: Uh, yeah, and when I saw uh, Shane for the first time after having seen Taxi Driver and listened to the audio commentary of Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I remember that scene that Scorsese talked about. Uh, it was the scene and near the opening of the film when Robert De Niro is walking down the street and he takes a swig of his bottle and it dissolves and he's still walking down the street. Do do you remember that edit? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a in Shane there's Wilson entering the saloon oh, yeah. and then it dissolves or fa- maybe I'm totally misremembering, but fades out and then fades right back to him entering the saloon further.
1: Yeah. No, very unusual. Yeah. Yes.
0: I, I. Do you have any facts behind that edit? Every
1: second of a movie, you, you know, th- th- that you want it to be as compressed, as efficient as it can be. And he, I think he felt it was taking... Palance a little time to get over to the chair where he was going to sit down. And so just as he came in the door, he just did this dissolve where he was suddenly, you know, all across the room. And it was just very odd. You don't see that much, but people do point it out as a nice, you know, a person kind of in command of the medium. He's he, he not afraid to try something.
0: It, it it builds up this character in an unusual and effective way mm-hmm. that makes him, that makes him bigger. Right. It, that, it, and your father knew that would work. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, there was no question there. I just wanted to point that out. Right. Yes. In terms of, um, other filmmakers of his era, in terms of cinematographers of your father's era, um... I I've heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard that they considered themselves not artists, but this is my job. This is what I do for a living. How would you say your would your father just have described himself as an artist, or would you say that was his profession somewhere in between?
1: John Ford used to say making movies is just a job of work.
0: And, and yeah. You know, Did your father take that did your father see that see it that way or another way?
1: well he 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 liked to be unpretentious and uh Carl Sandberg worked with us on the greatest story ever told a wonderful american historian and was television was on in the room one day and a filmmaker a young filmmaker was on saying, "Well, as an artist, I do this and that." And I remember Carl Sandburg growled at the screen. He said, artist is a praise word. You don't call yourself an artist. You know, of course, people call themselves artists, but uh, I, th- I think a lot of film directors found it was a little pompous to be referring to themselves as artists. They, you know, uh, although they, what they created was art.
0: Yeah. Um, this is a very technical question, but, and again, you know better than I do, by my understanding during Shane's initial theatrical run, uh, it was, uh, every shot was reframed to accommodate the new VistaVision format, uh, it, like, because VistaVision was this new process that Paramount was trying to promote, um, to th- compete with television, and I believe Shane was the first film. To be reformatted.
1: The robe came out in CinemaScope. That was 20th Century Fox's big thing, widescreen, and at the same time as Shane, and Paramount. You know, seeing that all of this promotion, everything was a robe, big screen. So there was this idea, and they, what they actually did was, in projection, they blew up Shane bigger on the screen and cut off a little of the top and bottom. Which normally would have, uh, you know, something my father would not have approved of, but it really did help get the film before the audience. And but now Shane remains as it was. It was a transitory process, and Shane is now beautiful the way it was
0: at the beginning. I agree. So your, fa- your so your father was not a fan of that change. It sounds uh, like. Uh,
1: he he did not like cinemascope he 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 liked which which is very wide he, he he was saying that he thought it was very good for graduation pictures um <laughs> you know uh and uh, he, and he liked he he liked more height in, in the images through time we now have big screens that have both both height and width um and uh uh, I was talking with Christopher Nolan uh, just yesterday and there are three of th- uh, the DCPs that Oppenheimer is being shown in 70 millimeter film, but in some theaters on digital, you know, high definition discs. And, uh, and he said there are three different formats just because of the difference of the size of theaters. So it's a, it's a complex thing of getting the shape of the uh, the aspect ratio is what they call it, the ratio of what your eye sees. And so that's uh, something that people spend a lot of time on.
0: Speaking of, of uh, the projection of Shane, I would, li- I would love to hear about uh, the, restora- the recent restoration of Shane. Could you describe that process and as well as the upcoming screening?
1: We did it in a, a, remastered the film it's called in a digital format, uh, 4K, uh, that's the high standard now. And we did that with Shane actually several years ago, uh, you know, taking the 35 millimeter print and and transferring that to a digital thing. working carefully on the light, you know, to try and get it as close to the original um, as possible. And actually, uh, if, you know, in in some ways, sh- you you can control it now to have the dark scenes a little darker while seeing everything. So it, the result is a very very good result.
0: I, I believe I believe it's being rela- released on on four K Blu ray maybe.
1: Yes. Terrific. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I'm getting a copy. Yeah. Pre-ordering that. Um and could you tell us about this upcoming screening at the Academy Museum?
1: Yeah, they have the 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 Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I gave my father's papers and his films to the Academy in around 1980. Wow. And they started the George Stevens lecture and every year um a filmmaker would take a George Stevens film and talk about it to the audience at the Academy in their lovely Goldwyn Theater. And then uh, during COVID, we had to suspend it. And so and then at the same while was meanwhile, the Academy had just finished its new museum in Hollywood, uh, which which is now open. And and the museum is now going to be the place where you have the George Stevens lecture and I wanted it to come back with the, you know, in, a, in high style. And so we chose to show Shane on its 75th anniversary and Christopher Nolan will do the lecture before the film talking about how Shane influenced him when he was doing his Batman movies. He was very taken with the way evil was shown in Shane and uh, I read an article in which he talked about that and I asked him if he would do the George Stevens lecture and he's going to do it uh, Sunday uh, the 10th of December um, in the evening
0: at the Academy Museum in their big 900 seat theater incredible thank you so much for your time Mr. Stevens this is Shane is truly one of the most incredible films I've ever seen and I encourage anybody who is traveling to LA or living in LA to uh, to visit the Academy Museum to see uh, Mr. Nolan and Mr. Stevens. I believe you'll be at the uh, screening.
1: I will, I'll, I will introduce Christopher and he will speak and then we'll all see the film together on its 75th anniversary.
0: Listeners, if you have any comments, questions or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at independentcareerstudios at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please write a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. Behind the Flicks was created by myself and Ariana. I wrote and edited this episode. My name is Aaron Gentile. This has been an Independent Career Studios production.